accepted. Please. Please stand by. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the BMC TrueSight Capacity Optimization 10.0 What's New webinar. Today's conference is being recorded, and I'd like to turn the call over to Mr. Steve Johnson. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Amy. Um, welcome, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, as you can see from the title of this session, today's webinar, which is the second in the, uh, the fourth series of our capacity optimization webinars, will be with respect to you know, what's new within version 10 that was uh, recently released. The speaker today will be Mr. Michael West, who's uh, one of our product architects for the capacity optimization product. Uh, if there's any questions during the session, please use the Q&A window, which you can find on the right side of your, your screen. There'll be no audio Q&A with this session today. Uh, as mentioned, it is also being recorded, and the uh, recorded sessions will be made available on the BMC Capacity Optimization Communities pages after the event, uh, if not today, then within the next 24 hours. Uh, and at a later, later point, it will also be available on the, as, a BA, as, a, as an iTunes uh, podcast. So on that note, I'll hand over to today's presenter. So uh, Mike, I will let you take the reins from here on. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Um, again, this is Mike West. I'm product architect for uh, TrueSight Capacity Optimization. And my main purpose here today is to go through the features as well as architectural changes that have occurred in the Tenno release, which was released in December of uh, last year. Um, so for the agenda today, we're going to go through um, some information about the release, um, the market we're targeting, the deprecations and drops, which impact some of the components that we support within the capacity optimization suite. Um, we'll go through in the What's New section, um, support for integrated demand and capacity management, um, otherwise known as reservations. Uh, we'll look at the enhanced best practice views. We'll look at support for um, enhanced support for the virtual, so the RHEV connectors. Um, enhanced support for the cloud, including the OpenStack connector. Uh, alternative database backend, so the ability to support PostgreSQL. Um, enhanced administration within the capacity optimization suite, as well as the simplified architecture. Okay, so some of the key areas that we're looking at with releasing version 10 include the integrated um, support for integrated demand and capacity management, as I mentioned. Um, looking at extended integrations and analytics for clouds, private clouds. The capacity uh, practice, um, enhanced best practice views. And in this section, let's look at take a look at look at the capacity pool views, um, as well as a simplified architecture with an alternative database. As part of the development process, we had a, a beta program that we ran with Capacity Optimization 10.0, and some of the key um, customers that we released had some very positive things to say about 10.0 before it went GA. Um, as you can see, a large global telco company had some positive things about the fact that we're releasing reservations and the ability to manage OpenStack clouds. And then we also had a customer in a, a U.S. healthcare um, that, again, was um, remarking on the reservation-aware capacity management capabilities. So we're going to spend a little bit of time today in order to go through that key feature as well as others. 
in order to give you a sense for what's in the package. Um, so with True Site Capacity Optimization 10.0, um, there are a, the main package, which was released in December 19th. It's already available on EPD sites. Then we have the extensions, including um, support for mainframe. Um, that was also released on December 19th. Um, that's version 10.0 as well. Um, the Movery integrator for True Site Capacity Optimization 7.0. Um, that was also released on December 19th. And then finally we have the Sentry Integrator for True Site Capacity Optimization, which was released recently on January 30th, and it includes a new connector for HP 3PAR storage arrays. So as you navigate into the, uh, the new UI, You'll notice that we have um, links to how-to videos um, that you can use in order to see some of the new features, including OpenStack support. And we hope you find that to be of benefit. Um, we have also um, updated the communities with information about Tenno, which has been released, as well as you can have an opportunity to go online and uh, converse with some of the users. And we no notice a number of people are already starting to use version 10.0 uh, now that it's been released. So please continue to use the active user of the community because I think you'll find tons of information out there about the product as well as customers' usage of the product. In addition, we've restructured our documentation. Uh, we try to simplify it as we brought together all the components that make up True Site Capacity Optimization 10.0 and to make the um, information more readily available, as well as you get uh, more, let's say, uh, direct um, access to some of the best practices that are provided uh, using the entire suite. So we hopefully find, hope that you'll find that structure a lot easier to use in the new release. In terms of training, um, we do have um, three options available. Um, there's a web-based training for what's new, um, which essentially will cover a lot of the stuff that you see here. And that was released, obviously, when we released GA. We have two instructor-led training options. One is using, and that release is uh, planned or planned for today, as a matter of fact as well as administering, which is going to be planned for release on February 27th. Okay, and then also we have a lot of information on the website that you can see about 10.0, uh, including new data sheets, um, videos, and some research papers that we think you'll find interesting. The other thing that I'd like to um, bring to attention is um, the Amigo program. Um, the Amigo program is a program which you can initiate through support, and its intent is to evaluate your current platform, version 9, 9.5, or maybe even earlier versions, and help you put together a plan for how you migrate and upgrade to version 10.0. Um, so we strongly encourage you to um, take a look at the MIGO program and to make use of that program as it's intended to make sure that your upgrade experiences 
is not only um, you know fruitful, but also we can plant it in a in a in a good way. So one of the things I want to talk about is the deprecations and drops for 10.0. Um, so we, what you have here are the different components that are part of the true site capacity optimization 10.0. Um, its current status in terms of version 9.5, as well as what the status will be in 10.0. Um, so some of these connectors you can see, like in 9.5, the SCOM connector, as well as the EMC connectors and views are being dropped in 10.0. Um, currently, they are deprecated in the 9.5 release. And the rationale for these, obviously, is related to the fact that we have um, uh, third-party vend uh, th vendors that are providing this movie as well as Century providing um, uh, options or solutions in order to, to manage these environments. So I'm going to put this up here for just a few more seconds so you can see some of the things, some of the changes that are happening within the connectors space. Okay, on the next slide, we're going to talk a little bit about deprecations and drops for the um, components that are part of the previously known BMC Performance Assurance um, uh, product line. And uh, here you'll see um, with 10.0 um, Perceiver, which a lot of the capability has been migrated into um, TrueSight Capacity Optimization Console, is going into deprecation mode. And deprecation simply means that we will, probably, we will not be receiving any new enhancement requests to this, but obviously we'll continue to maintain and make sure that product continues to be robust. Um, Perceiver General Manager, as well as Perceiver Virtual Planner. Um, those are being dropped as those, both of those features have been migrated fully into the TrueSight Capacity Optimization Console. The Analyze, Predict, and Investigate UIs, those remain the same. Um, so they'll be continue to be packaged as part of the product. No change in the status of that for 10.0. And then Visualizer, the proxy agent, as well as the Visualizer database um, are going to be deprecated in this release. And um, what you'll find is that a lot of the data that we have that support these components will be um, you know, funneled through the BCO, um, or you have options to bring that data into the BCO console. And the vCenter proxy agent um, has a similar capability that's already available um, for the BCL console that is in, in the uh, vCenter connector service. Okay. Um, so again, on the connector space, um, we here's a, just a list of the connector support. Um, so the log agent, the agent log parser is deprecated. Um, for custom KMs, again, deprecated. We're uh, dropping the patrol data extractor and the patrol proactive net data extractor uh, for 8.5 and 8.6. Um, and then uh, we're renaming some of the components you can see down there for the generic extractor 9.6 and database extractor. Um, okay. And then the other thing is the um, 
CDB to CDB extractor, and we'll talk a little bit about the reference architecture, is being deprecated, um, whereas the Viz files parser, um, the parser itself will be renamed, and the, it is going to be an integral part of the, or it is an integral part of the, um, the best practice integration between the BPA components or the gateway server, as we're renaming it, um, to the BCL console. So we'll have a little bit more about that later on in this presentation. Okay, so let's start with the um, integrated um, demand for um, integrated. Uh, uh, so here, okay, TrueSight, how to manage future demands. So do, first questions we're trying to answer is, do we have enough capacity for new plan projects based on resource requirements, priorities, and other criteria? And what is the additional required capacity? When do we need it and where? Um, how can we provide visibility to our spare capacity, also factoring in reserve resources for committed projects? How can we make sure that we do not miss potential saturations due to this organic growth? How do we reconcile reserve versus measured resources? And how can we take into account reservations for newer planned projects? Um, so this is a key f feature that we're looking that we pro um, provide in this release. So in terms of business work capacity management, um, we have the ability to predict capacity to support expected growth of already deployed services. That's using business KPIs, correlation models, extrapolation models, what if models. Um, we have the ability now to uh, we have extended ability to predict capacity to support expected business demands for new projects. Um, so incorporating information to the time forecasting models, um, hypothetical candidates in VP, and also now the reservation analytics, what if events, being able to automatically add those to your models. So what is a reservation? Um, a reservation represents resources, CPU, memory, disk space, required by an upcoming project for a given period of time. Um, a reservation item requires resources of a specific type of technology. In this release, we focused primarily on AIX and vSphere. Um, so here you have an example, Project X. It has two workloads that you need to deploy and the characteristics of each workload is described as part of the reservation. Reservations based on templates. A reservation item is defined in terms of service or system templates that have been selected as representing the catalog of templates useful for reservation purposes. Therefore, when considering a reservation item, you can either look at the amount of resources corresponding to the expected utilization or the entire allocation. Okay, here we have an example of a small application, server VM, and then there's a profile of memory, both allocation as well as the utilization profile for CPU memory as well as disk. And we can utilize either of those options. So how are they managed? Um, so capacity optimization will automatically estimate the spare capacity of your infrastructure based on measured utilization and committed reservations, either resource utilization or allocation based on reservation policies. So here you have, as an example, um, you have a cluster, and how much used and how much is available. 
now you want to add a new project, Project X. You want to reserve that for a specific period of time. Um, so the outcome of this would be to see what it looks like in the past, how it changes during the time in which it's been reserved, and you can see the expected spare capacity of that, and then what, how much resources will be freed once the reservation expires. Um, so it's the expected spare capacity is automatically updated as either current utilization changes or resource reservations change. We also support the ability to on or off board our resources. So you can manage plans to add or remove new resources to your infrastructure at a given point in time in the future um, thanks to this new uh, feature. Um, so here we have a picture of how the project looks over time. And now if we want to add a new host um, starting at a specific date, in this example December 1st, then you can see how the spare capacity increases um, by adding the additional capacity of the new host. And then how much additional um, of the resources will be available after the project um, expires, including the onboarded resource itself. So you can make some decisions based off of that in terms of how long you want to keep that resource on board. And then you can make decisions to offboard it as well. So we support the entire, basically, life cycle for the reservations. Um, so from the point that it's been accepted, you've created a reservation, specified the resources, you've defined your start date. Um, during the planning and implementation phase, you select your capacity pools, and we'll talk about those terms, what a capacity pool is in a second. Evaluate the eligible capacity containers and assign reservation items. And then you see what the impact is once you realize the reservation, and then what is the impact after you've after reservations expired. So this is the life cycle that we've intended to support with this feature. So what is capacity container? A capacity container is a technology-independent abstraction. Uh, it corresponds to vSphere clusters in VMware, as well as AIX frames in PowerVM. Um, this new construct can be used to allocate reservation items themselves. So capacity optimization will automatically display which containers are compatible with a reservation item either considering utilization profiles or allocation. Um, when both measured utilization and other committed resources are taken into account to support their placement. Um, so here you have a project X. Uh, you want to be able to choose which, um, you want to be able to find a place for that reservation and which cluster it would actually be added to. So the container basically defines a set of clusters that you'll be considering for the reservation. Okay, so reservation policies for allocation and utilization. Um, so it gives you, it allows a global policy to be set to specify whether the utilization profile or allocation is considered when realizing reservations. Okay, so you can you do it based off of the the top the the top flow here is based off of the allocation based, or if you want, you can look at the um, how the reservation um, the, is impacted if you just look at the utilization uh, profile of that system. 
Capacity pools. Capacity pools represent uh, a homogeneous set of capacity containers and can be defined according to different criteria. So you can base off of your business rules, location, uh, function. Um, they provide an effective way of selecting which containers can be targeted by a reservation based on the specifics of the projects for which the resources are being reserved. Um, okay, so defining reservations. So you define projects as const uh, constituted by reservation and onboarding records based off of either system or service templates. You can characterize them by tags, for example, to specify the different technology. And then you can specify an automatic or manual realization mode for the reservation. Allocating reservations, you allocate each reservation to the best container in selected capacity pools. Um, we'll find containers with enough capacity that are compliant with the placement rules that are automatically sorted by rank um, and evaluate spare capacity based on either allocation or utilization phase rules. Then you'll be able to understand the impact of committed reservations on capacity chainers in terms of spare capacity, and for example, number of spare VMs, and limiting resources, whether it's storage, CPU, memory. We'll chart it over time. We'll look at the total allocated and reserve capacity within the thresholds. And they're based, again, on either allocation or utilization for committed and realized reservations. Um, and then keeping everything under control, we'll automatically verify reservations, containers, capacity pools, a reservation, we'll show whether it's been accepted, um, whether it's pending, uh, declined, committed, realized, expired, so you can set the different states, uh, containers, are all, uh, are all its reservations feasible? Is there any committed which is not? Uh, pools, do all containers? have enough capacity for committed resources? So these are some of the questions you'll be able to answer. Um, integrated demand and capacity management. Again, not integrated. Um, what, uh, what if events before 10.0, um, but after 10.0, we can integrate those, um, including, uh, and we can, it's integrated with the rest, including, the including factoring the reservations. Okay. All right, so the next section we'll talk about is the best practice views. All right, so there's a new home page for the views. It shows all installed views at a glance. There are new capacity pool views for technical and management audiences. Um, the capacity shows the capacity aggregate at the pool level, the key metrics, and indicators, either risk, usage, or efficiency factors, and we'll talk about those. Um, the data exploration pages and virtualization and standalone views. Um, these views are um, analogous to what was or what is currently being shown in Perceiver. Um, they're intended for technical audiences. They're technical, not technology-specific data explorer pages. Um, so your VMware administrator may see a different set of pages than perhaps your AX administrator. 
how to charts and metrics in the data um, shows charts and metrics in the new data explorer pages and allows drill down to data explorer pages from summary views. So we have a couple ways to get at these. One is to go through the summary views and the other is to take a look at them directly from the uh, from the UI. Um, so here's a new home page for the views. So here you can see the new arrangement. Um, I think previously it was more of a tree view. Um, now we have we're showing you stuff in the results page. You can select them directly. The capacity pool view. Now here what we do is we allow you to see um, the different uh, indicators. Um, so you have your usage, your risk, and your efficiency, and it factors in. Uh, this is for an example. You can see it's for AX hosts, um, but these are available for um, for AIX and for VMware. The um, capacity pool view indexes. So the usage factor, the range is from zero to hundred. Low means there's room to add more applications to this capacity pool. Uh, first, and it looks at CPU, memory, and storage. The risk factor also is, uh, ranges from zero to hundred. A high means that the resources are showing signs of saturation, or the trends show that the resources will be saturated soon. And again, CPU, memory, and storage. The efficiency factor. Um, shows uh, it's limited by 0 to 100 again. Low means that some resources of this capacity pool are being wasted and can be reclaimed. Um, they could be old snapshots, could be idle VMs. Um, okay. We'll allow you to drill down into capacity pool and you can see some of the details. So starting from the, um, the cluster, you can go down and see uh, the different metrics that supported each one of the risk indicators for that element. And here you can drill all the way in here you can go all the way down to the element view and see specifically, you know, which clusters are saturated. Look at the pressure index for each one of the clusters in this example. Um, CPU memory and and uh, storage. Okay, so now for the data exploration pages or explore pages, um, we extended the coverage of charts and metrics. The out of the box charts or core metrics will be displayed in different units as well as normalization, different normalizations. The out of the box charts for additional key metrics in addition to the four or five Core metrics are supported in were supported in previous releases. Hardware configuration table is showing hardware changes during the selected time frame. This includes the motion scenarios. Um, organization charts are organized by subsystem. The separator explorer pages by platform based on relevancy for the platform. We've provided some predefined time selectors. So you can look at yesterday, last seven days, last 30 days. Um, you can look from to, so you can give your own specific time frame, as well as apply time filters. 
Um, and then you can drill down into the data exploration explore pages from the summary views themselves. Um, so here are the key technologies that we cover with the data explorer pages. So we have VMware AIX, um, PowerVMs, AXW PARs, Solaris, you can look at LDOMs, DSDs, and Zones, HP, and PARVPAR, IVMs, KVM, Hyper-V, Zen, and then the standalone views, which combines uh, Windows as well as um, uh, Unix, Linux systems. And um, it also allows you to show data from within the from agents that are within the guests as well, if you have operating system data that you're gathering from within the OS. So those would appear at, well, under a different tag as under the standalone as well. Um, so we provided a number of templates to enhance the best practice views. And these templates um, are available if you wanted to create your own views as well. So we're listing out here all of the possible templates that are used, and um, those can be referred to in customizing your own views. Okay, so the next section we're going to talk about the RHEV connector. All right, so um, so we provide we now provide an out-of-the-box connector for Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization. Um, so RHEV is Red Hat Server Virtualization Platform. Uh, it's based off of Linux KVM, and this package is certified by Red Hat. Um, so this product itself, the RGV, contains of an RGV manager, so the RGV-M management console. Um, it manages the virtual machines, it provides a web UI, and it provides the API uh, in which we use to collect the data without installing agents so we can get a view of the host as well as the outside view of the guests. The um, hypervisor itself is a special build of RGL, which runs the KVM with a restricted set of packages. Um, so the, the set of metrics that can be collected from RGAVM is different than the set of metrics that can be collected by a local agent. I have a couple slides from that show some of the different metrics. Um, so there are three options for collecting these metrics, depending on the metrics of interest and use cases to be supported. Um, so the first one is this base, um, which connector is based off of, is they're using the RGV-M REST API. Um, and that gives, again, view of the host as well as a guest from the outside perspective. And it also provides some storage information um, for the RGV, for the hypervisor. You can deploy a local agent. That would be an agent that runs within the guest itself. And then a combination of the previous options, that is both the connector and the agent. Um, so what that allows you to do is start combining information from inside the guest with outside the guest in order to start making some decisions on how you want to uh, manage that environment. Um, OK. Go to the next section here. Uh, so let's look at what are the entities are exposed in the relationships themselves. So the virtual clusters um, contain physical hosts, which run the VMs themselves. The store there are storage clusters as well, which contain storage hosts, 
they implement storage domains, and the storage domains are used by the virtual clusters for storage. And then the data center contains both clusters. Um, so both the virtual clusters and the storage clusters, and then organize clusters into larger groups for, for management purposes. So here we have an example of a virtual cluster with two hosts, and it uses a storage cluster, each with two separate storage hosts and a single storage domain. When you import the data using a connector, um, we're able to build a hierarchy which shows relationship between the data center, the virtual cluster, and its relationships to the hosts and the virtual machines, as well as um, a relationship between the data center and the um, storage domains that are contained in it. So that includes the storage uh, cluster as well as the storage hosts themselves. The um, RHUV data does get populated into the existing KVM views. Um, so we have a KVM virtual farm uh, that, or KVM farm that you'll be able to go and take a look at. And here you can see the KVM host view and several of the other views uh, as part of KVM will have the data available. Um, it does not support the network file system and disk metrics from the host and partition detail pages. So that's the only metrics that are absent from this integration. Um, here what you see is a comparison of uh, the data that you collect from uh, a BPA agent, um, which you could um, uh, install onto a KVM or RGV host versus the, um, the RGV data. And um, as you can see, at the host level, the, um, the BPA agent or perform agent itself um, provides a lot more detailed information about the host itself, um, whereas the RGV will provide some high-level summary metrics for the host. On the next page, which you'll see is a comparison, again, of the host, uh, but also of the guest metrics. Um, and here you'll see there's a number of metrics that are included from the outside view that's provided by the RTV um, and compared to the BPA. So there's, uh, as mentioned in the earlier slide, there's different use cases, and depending on the metrics of your interest, you may need to supplement the data that you see um, for the KVM, I mean for the RTV connector with the data that's from within inside the UCGS. Okay, so the next feature is the OpenStack. Um, so we provide support for OpenStack clouds. Um, OpenStack is an open source cloud OS, also packaged by ISVs, including Red Hat. Um, support for multiple hypervisor technologies, including RxGB. Um, Linux KVM and VMware vSphere um, has pooling constructs such as host aggregates as well as availability zones, um, provides tenants, um, also known as projects, and it provides an administrative dashboard for the cloud admin, and it does self-provisioning web interface for end users. The new OpenStack API ETL extractor 
um, supports OpenStack versions Grizzly, Havana, and Icehouse. It leverages the OpenStack Nova APIs and port infrastructure entities and tenants into, into capacity optimization. Provides basic configuration metrics, um, for example, number of vCPUs requested. Um, more configuration and performance metrics um, need to be collected from other ETLs, and depending on which hypervisor um, is being adopted, you'll select those ETLs. So um, uh, you may get for if there's a vSphere integration, then you'd probably need to use a vCenter extractor service um, in KVM, or you would may want to opt to use the BPA KVM agents, or in the RGV, you may want to use the RGV uh, connector. These are just examples. Um, the two types of relationships that are showed um, within the cloud include infrastructure hierarchy, which shows the host aggregate and host the VM, and then the tenant hierarchy, which shows the tenant to VM relationships. Okay, so this is just a picture of the our architecture for OpenStack. Um, and this is this to kind of illustrate the um, data flow of how we use the APIs, the Nova APIs, in order to get the relationships into the data warehouse for capacity optimization, so through the OpenStack ETL. Uh, and if you're, depending on the hypervisor, you can get additional performance and configuration data um, to put into the data warehouse as well. And if you need information from within the guest OS, then you can deploy our agents or in, in order to get the data into the database as well. So these, again, depend on the use cases, how much you would want to implement in terms of all three of these integration points. Back to just the OpenStack hierarchy itself. Um, here we can see um, the cloud infrastructure. Um, so here we can see the host um, aggregates, um, the uh, cloud, as well as the, tech, the host and the VMs relationships. And then down below, we have the tenant to VM relationship. Some of the, um, and then again, this is more looking at the sub hierarchies. So here you can see from the cloud, you can see the host aggregates. So this is the cloud, and underneath the cloud, you can see the relationships to the uh, children, which are the uh, aggregates. And then under the host aggregate sub-hierarchy, you can see the host themselves under the children section there. And then finally, uh, looking at the tenant sub-hierarchy, you can see the relationship between the tenants and the VMs. Okay, so the um, you know OpenStack entities are displayed in the workspace, so you can go and take a look at the different metrics. We, uh, depending on uh, what hypervisor you're using, um, to get the VM performance metrics and the host performance metrics, that information gets aggregated up to different levels within the hierarchy. So you'll see the measures metrics aggregated up to the um, to the host aggregate level as well as the cloud level. Um, so here you can see an example of the metrics in the tree. Um, the data at the host 
aggregate as well as the cloud level can be um, used in building analyses and models. And you can use them as part of creating your by exception reporting. So the key here is both the um, OpenStack connector as well as the hypervisor, um, the integration you use to get the hypervisor data, the performance data. Okay, so configuring. Um, so in order to connect, you just need to identify the service URL. Um, and then you need to go ahead and add in the credentials for the username and the password, and then add in the tenant name. Typically what you would do, since you're going to share this with other um, ETLs, um, so for this example, let me just you know use an example like let's say the RGV connector, then you'd want to share the entity catalog with uh, of the OpenStack connector with the um, RGV connector itself. And um, we'll talk a little bit about what entity catalogs are, but just in short, an entity catalog is a way of um, doing your lookup sharing. So in the past, you would say, I share my lookup with this other connector. Now we've created these entity catalogs that can be used to share um, relationships, I mean, the entities across multiple connectors. Okay. So now some of the um, changes in 10.0 is the ability to use PostgreSQL. Um, so Post as a database backend. Um, so support for PostgreSQL is as an alternative backend was provided in this release. The installation can now be performed by selecting Oracle or PostgreSQL database instance. Um, it is not supported for the Visualizer CDB, in case there are questions about that. It's only for the capacity optimization database. Um, and uh, similar to Oracle, your Oracle instance, the PostgreSQL database must be created prior to installing the product. Um, it's not installed as part of the product. Um, so you must make sure that your administrator set up a PostgreSQL database on a server. According to specifications, we'll talk about sizing in a few minutes um, or the process of getting sizing. But um, once that's been set up and configured, then the installation process will configure BCO or capacity optimization on that PostgreSQL database instance. Um, so administration of the um, capacity optimization instance based on the database. General information management can be performed from the console on the PostgreSQL admin tool for the database um, administration backend. So there's a separate tool used to manage the database itself. Um, so with this, you get the full capabilities for PostgreSQL-based installations. Um, so there's no features that are, uh, let's say, absent with that if you go to PostgreSQL versus using Oracle. Um, however, we do recommend um, in this release that it's deployed for a small or medium environment.
um, where small or medium is is part as part of the process of deploying, we all obviously ask people to go ahead and submit a request for sizing, and during that sizing, we'll come up with some parameters that can be useful to determine whether it's small or medium, um, and then we'll help you in making decisions in terms of whether or not PostgreSQL is a good choice for your environment. So it's part of the process. Um, so now the database diagnostics reports, we've added some more reports in Tenno to help with um, understanding the load of the database as well as extracting information for sizing. Um, so we have a data warehouse agnostics to check the data warehouse load and queue status. It's available as a BERT report, and it's supported on both Oracle and PostgreSQL. Um, in terms of doing initial sizing, um, we have a report that will allow you to extract um, the data put into a spreadsheet and uh, submit that for an existing environment. I mean, sorry, we have a spreadsheet in initially that you fill out which you submit through support, which will help with the initial sizing. But if you, if you have an existing environment, we have a new report, a BERT report, which you can run in your environment that will tell us the existing load and how the load is being managed, how many entities, and what's the volume for each entity. And then we can use that to see if the environment is sized appropriately um, for your load. Okay, and then we do have some procedures and customer support to help to improve database performances. Um, generally, we ask for Oracle to use AWR reports, and now we have some BERT templates in uh, customer service that can be used to help assess the uh, PostgreSQL performance. So this is just an example of the data warehouse sizing report, um, the one that is created when you have an existing environment, and we use it to see if the environment is adequately sized for the load that you have, your current architecture, that is. And this is an example of the PostgreSQL database tuning report. Um, this report is not intended for easy reading. It really just allows us to help um, dig into and provide information back to you on how we think the database should be tuned. So it is an interaction between customer support and uh, the customer. So some administration changes. Um, so in Tenno, we've added a notification area and diagnostics um, pages. So there's a new prominent notification area um, to proactively inform the administrator of uh, any error happening in the background. Um, so in this example, you'll see this little red X down here. This is telling you that there's two or three, act two activities, I guess, that are um, that you want to maybe take a closer look at. And when you open it up, you'll see that there's two specific um, types of errors or activities that are happening that may need some attention in terms of diagnostic alerts. And then it also allows you to show you some progress of ongoing activities that are happening in the background. Um, so diagnostic messages contain the top critical messages grouped by error code. So priority level is failure error warning. For each level, a rank is used to sort messages. Failures on database or warehouse are displayed at the top um, because it has most highest significance normally. 
messages can be suppressed and um, similar areas, errors are grouped into a single row. Um, and then we just list the number of occurrences of that area, error, so that you, um, you, know, you can see the error itself and how much impact it has or how many times it's occurred. A notification error can also notify events of user background activity. So if you have analyses, models, or reports executing or on-demand task execution, um, then it will go ahead and keep track and notify you that they're going on. Um, it will list any failure of the tasks, and it works, and it will show you know, what's happening with the scheduled tasks, mainly the errors. Um, user activity status page contains running activities for all users. The admin has the ability to kill executions of any user that takes too much time, um, but it also shows you information like the percentage of work that you complete, and the page can be reached using the link in the notification area, show user activity status. Okay. Um, we also have attempted to prove the data warehouse status page, um, so a lot of the um, thing, information that was maybe in greater detail in other areas of the BCL administrative page have been pulled and summarized into a central place so that you can go ahead and see information about use and available space, size of the table spaces, um, the data flow status, as well as the daily volume itself. Um, the entity catalog, which I mentioned earlier in the example with uh, OpenStack and the uh, RHEV connector, um, it's really just an easier way of sharing entities imported by multiple connectors uh, with respect to lookup tables. Um, so you can create entity catalogs you can associate many connectors to those catalogs. Um, in the past, uh, implementations have tried to define a master, uh, you know, master lookup table. Um, in this release, what we've been able to do is kind of bring uh, an entity catalog into the picture, so you can define something that is a master uh, and then manage it from a central place. So there's a lot of lot of power with now bring, creating these entity catalogs. You can also do different things like merging and splitting um, entity catalogs. Um, so if you have multiple catalogs, you can merge those together, or you can take a single one and split it into se uh, separate catalogs. It also allows you to do um, you know, uh, better UI support um, for doing reconciliation. Um, so you can reconcile entities imported as different from uh, different entities using uh, different criteria. So it gives you a lot more power on how you go about reconciling um, entities within uh, capacity optimization. Um, wanted to mention too that we have a uh, chain controller view. Um, so you can see for each chain and subchain exactly which tasks are associated with that chain. And you can also see the status, uh, not only the chain, it's, but also the um, tasks themselves in context. Um, so it's 
lot less time is spent trying to figure out which task belongs to which chain, now you can go ahead and get a visualization of that right away and understand which of those tasks are really need the attention, even if, the, even if it's not all of them within the chain itself. Okay, so there's some architectural changes that have happened over the last release, last two releases. And we have um, the ability to use the, um, the uh, service containers in order to relocate different services on one or more application servers. Um, so here's just some examples. Um, but if you have, for example, in this example, um, you have uh, you may have one or more application servers. In this example, you have a single application server. All services are running on the data hub. So this is kind of what you're getting in the 9.0 release, the default configured um, implementation. Now, in now you have the ability to move um, services from the container that runs the data warehouse or the data hub into a generic service container. And so now this Kappa uh, service can be moved into another service container. And then you can split off and create another application server in the third example and move that to another service container. So the purpose of this moving is really just to try to optimize the resources that are allocated to the application server. Um, in terms of memory and, and cores. So the more application servers you have, perhaps you can better distribute the work um, by moving services, relocatable services, um, you know, from what was in the data hub into any one of these generic service containers. Um, so it's, again, it's, it's a way of tuning your, uh, your architecture based off of um, the amount of available resources and balancing it, load balancing it. Um, the installation has been made but more robust, so all content is loaded with constraints enabled. Constraints no more are no more disabled and then enabled. No content can be accidentally deleted when it is in use. Um, for content typically included in service packs and human hot fixes, delete operations are not performed by the alignment phase to prevent content loss, only inserts and updates. So we've tried to make the installation process a little bit more robust. Um, so we've done some simplification to the application server itself. Um, so the JBoss application server is no longer used. Um, so now the service is always Tomcat for the web data hub and service container. And uh, the CPIT command has identical syntax, no change. So uh, even removing the application server, you can still use the same commands. Um, and then in terms of third-party um, upgrades um, for security as well as stability, um, we've upgraded the Apache to 2.4, embedding OpenSSL version 0.1i. We've upgraded Java to uh, Java uh, Java 8 or 1.8 U25, and then the Tomcat upgrade is at 7.0.56. We also have um, 
simplified and uh, utilize fewer network ports. So JMS, ActiveMQ no longer used. All backend services that we're still using, SOAP, have been migrated now to REST services. So in the, in the, in the end, fewer open ports are required, and that will improve security. And these are just some of the details. So you can refer to this, uh, this uh, uh, presentation to take a look at some of the internal details. And of course, you can go to our documentation. Okay. And it's just an uh, illustration of uh, the changes in terms of the, the ports and the components. Okay, so in terms of upgrade scenarios um, and backward compatibility to avoid mandatory firewall configuration for customers, ports are left backward compatible. Um, so the situation for CO10 upgrade from C.10. 9.5 is that the um, DH and SC ports are still used by the remote ETL. JMS-related ports are not used. They can be closed on the firewall. So you can go ahead and close those. Okay. Now, the uh, next couple of slides will talk about the architectural streamlining of the components, including the gateway server, which may be a new term for you. Um, so the reference architecture component renaming. So in the past with BPA components, um, the old names like general manager, general manager service, BPA, console, visualizer files, and perform agent have been renamed in the true site capacity organization to now general manager's gateway manager. The general manager service is a gateway service, and the BPA console is the gateway server. Um, this files and as well as we refer to everything as agent now. Um, there is a doc that outlines all the terminology changes. So if you have some of the uh, products like 9.5 or 9.0, you'll know exactly what those are renamed to in 10.0. From the recommended data integration for all the components, um, from the gateway server up to the to the um, true site capacity optimization console, um, we have uh, we do recommend the vis file integration um, using general manager. I mean, using gateway services um, in order to implement the ETL itself, the vis parser ETL. Um, so that's one that we've um, we're promoting. We've made some changes. Um, to simplify the configuration of this environment, because when you do the general manager services, it is actually integrating, I mean, the gateway services is integrating using um, the manager runs. And um, in some environments, there may be many, many manager runs that you need to manage. So in the next couple slides, I'll explain some of the changes we've done to help you simplify configuring an environment with the gateway server. Um, first, the collecting from the agent. Before, we used to have um, two separate um, DIS parsers, one for virtual nodes and the other for all other platforms. Well, we've consolidated those into a single, um, uh, a single uh, connector, this um, parser, which will now include the virtual nodes as well. So you can select that independent 
um, as well as select other platforms in the same run. So you no longer have to have multiple runs to process the same, um, perhaps this file in order to one for for the virtual nodes and the other for the other platforms. So it's been consolidated. Um, in order to automate the collection of the data from the Gateway Manager, um, in the Gateway um, Manager UI, uh, we've when you go ahead and add your Gateway servers to the capacity optimization, um, then as part of that process, you can go ahead and create the ETL, the connectors that are used for the gateway server configure um, integration. So we have an auto create option. When you select, it will allow you to go through a process in which you um, define what are some of the basic parameters you want to collect, like what platforms you want to collect and perhaps which metrics. Um, and then uh, with the information of the, con of the gateway um, server name, and uh, uh, ports to talk to the gateway service, it will go and discover from that um, gateway server how many manager runs are um, running on that server and auto-configure all the tasks that are required to, to manage that environment and then associate those with a single chain so that you can look at the management of that particular gateway server as a chain itself and then schedule the runs. Um, the uh, and in terms of ongoing maintenance, uh, it will continue to monitor that gateway server even after creation of all of those um, ETLs. And if new managers are added, it will go ahead and update your list of um, your tasks, either existing tasks or create new tasks to accommodate the additional manager runs based off of best practices. And the best practices are implemented as part of the workflow, so you can choose how many manager runs you want to have per ETL task. So we've tried to go ahead and take all of the um, the best practices and wrap them up into a single flow. So at the end, after a few clicks, you have all of the tasks you need to import the data, and it will continue to monitor itself so it adds more tasks if necessary to load in new data. Um, and then if you wanted to see which um, chains were created and which tasks are available for that particular gateway server, we have a view um, ETLs and then use within the gateway server um, UI. And then um, you can go ahead, gateway manager UI, and then you can go ahead and select that and then it will just pull out all detailed tasks that are associated with just that particular um, gateway server um, versus going to detail task page and trying to figure out which ones belong to which gateway server. So try to simplify it a bit. And um, that concludes in terms of the uh, presentation for today, um, the new features. There are a number of new RFEs that are implemented in this release. Um, and of course, we continue to make it more and more robust. Um, so we're extremely excited to have people go and start looking at planning out their migration from your current release to 10.0. And please don't forget about the Amigo program, which we can use to help give you some advice on how to best upgrade. Um, advice meaning that will you know, ask for certain information if you have different customizations in your environment 
we'll have those analyzed and then see if it's a, if any changes are required um, before the upgrade is done. Then we'll give you some recommendations and, and work with you on a plan to do that. So um, that's all I have for today, Steve. Okay, thank you, Michael, for the presentation today. Um, as I said at the beginning, you know, the session has been recorded. It will be available for uh, rerun probably within the next 24 hours. It takes a little bit of time to prepare that. If there's any ongoing questions with regards to the content today, then you know, they can be submitted um, to either the BMT support organizations through the uh, normal um, so trouble ticket process, or uh, you can use the BMT community forum to uh, ask questions, request additional information, uh, as well as referencing the online documentation for this release. Uh, and on, on that basis, I think we are concluded for today. So again, thank you all for joining uh, and taking the time to listen to this session. So Amy, I'll hand that over to you to close the session, if that's OK, please. Thank you very much, sir. And thank you. That does conclude today's presentation. Thank you for your participation.